0: This episode and every episode is sponsored by my company, JDAQA Software Testing, where you're one-stop shop for manual, automated, performance, and security testing. Check us out at jdaqa.com. And with that, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the first customer podcast, hosted by Gadner! Hi, everyone. Welcome to the First Customer Podcast. My name is Jay Egger. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by the CEO and founder of Effective Solutions, Kevin King. Hello, sir. How are you? I am well. How about you, Jay? I am fantastic. Long weekend ahead of us. Let's just start at the beginning, man. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I
1: uh, grew up in Bucks County. Went to Castle Rock, grade school, and then for high school, I went to Holy Ghost, so that all-boys Catholic school, um, which is in Northeast Philadelphia. uh, After... High school, went to college, went, went to American University, and that's actually where I started the business. I started effective where I was um, a junior in college quite some time ago, about 25 years ago, so about 26 years ago. The web was new, if so you can believe that. It was mm-hmm. uh, a thing getting started, and uh, yeah, that's the genesis of my entrepreneurial beginnings is right there in college. Where is American University? In D.C., right outside of Washington, D.C. Okay. And what
0: would you go to school there for? Well,
1: like most, I switched around a little bit. I think I saw it as like a psychology major. But I think it was sophomore year is when I started. I had always been into technology, programming. And then I think it was in between my sophomore and junior year, I essentially carved out my own major that was a combination of business and specifically entrepreneurship and MIS, information systems.
0: yeah. And where, when did you get the bug to start your own business?
1: Uh, I think growing up, I was always a bit of the stuff. We had magazine drives and things. Any chance I had to go out and do something and hustle a little bit in my neighborhood, that was always there. What really struck me though was when I was in college, the, and a, we had AOL all through high school, and we were online, people got on the internet. But it was really in 1990, so this is 1995. And people were just starting to create websites. There was a a group of of people in my, at at American, that I was friendly with. And I know they had started the business. They had pitched to do some work for some local companies, like consulting businesses, and they built their websites. And I think the idea then is really, and that's really what kind of ignited it. And so it was in between... My junior, my sophomore and junior year, while at school, I was lifeguarding down the shore, like the Jersey Shore. And a good friend of mine that I grew up with down there was a program So he, he and I did not go to college together, but he was also bitten by the bug and specifically with the idea of like building websites. So he and I got to talking and we decided let's give it a shot. So it was right there. When I was Kind of manly the lifeguard stand. Every break I could get, I was running down and like calling local businesses and seeing if we could do a little
0: presentation. And so, and that's a fantastic start. Do you remember who was your first customer? So I'm
1: going to, I could lie and tell you something. really <laughs> It was a group. So it happened quickly. So I think the first customer may have been Heritage Surf and Square, which was like a, a, a small chain of hurt, well, surf shops. It's in Sea Isle City, Ocean City. And, but the, so I, we did the website for Heritage. But at the same time, I was calling on all the real estate, the real estate agencies. And that was the first real niche with traction. So we went from calling on one or two of those to every time we went to one, gave the presentation. It was very much keeping up with the Joneses in that little industry. So it was a natural intro to, to the next one down the street and there are a lot of i think that the first draw customer base were um maybe five to ten of those real estate agencies
0: and how long did you keep that niche or is that something you still do today like how long did you do you ride that wave well that we i like that pun Very <laughs> down the shore i think for about three
1: or four years. that was somewhere going into this to so software Julia year we we quickly got most of the, the, the larger real estate agencies in like the surrounding towns and we hooked up with a guy who was a software developer who had built all of the rental platforms for just about everybody in the surrounding four or five island towns. And he was doing websites but differently, but he was very much a programmer. We had an aesthetic, like New we York. Design oriented. I'm so sort the of school of marketing. And he really looked at it as like a, a branding platform. But we were also really technical. My partner at the time was a, a really, he's a still a programmer. He's still like a very kind of all about just ones and zeros. So we built the first database driven websites that let these real estate agencies add their sales inventory. And this other software, the, the, the guy who owned the, the business, down there, had built a pretty sophisticated rental system to track all their inventory. And we were able to connect it. The websites he was building were very, they looked like a thing he was Oh, <laughs> we, we started doing them in collaboration with him. So we did that. We did the, the following year. I came back down and just focused on that. And I did it a little bit while still at school, but it was, it was a seasonal business. So it, was, it worked out nicely. So when I was at school, I could scale it back a little bit. And then after school, I moved back to the shore for about a year. So we were there essentially finishing out a lot of the sites that we had done for these agencies. And we were there for about another year after that. And eventually it became, well, I think it saturated what we were going to do there. And we decided that we could maybe branch off and do other businesses. So we actually moved back up here to, to Manium. And we got like a loft with the, with the office up there, and then we started focusing on like financial services.
0: Okay, twenty six years is a is a long time in business. So you guys have obviously been doing things right along the way. How many uh. major pivots do you think you've made along the way? Many.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we started off; we were doing all these real estate agencies. I would say probably half a dozen m- major pivot. We we did the real estate agencies, essentially covering pretty much all the ones in the in the surrounding two towns, and but we were technical, and it was a weird it was a weird place because we were where we could get the most traction. So if you walked into a small business and you were twenty two, expected. like a small business would expect a kid that was going to be doing their website, it's all very new but what was really difficult was cracking into like larger businesses that under, understood branding they had a brand they had they, they really had a larger scale already fully scaled businesses and though that kind of area was really more dominated by like ad agents. we moved when we moved to Philadelphia we were I was calling on like I like still got some clients that were in financial services but they were smaller businesses and then we got an opportunity at SEI investments which is like a large Mutual Fund Complex, we looking out of here, Philadelphia, and it wasn't the web design aspect. It was really nuts and bolts, like programming. They asked us. They they brought us into a conference room, and said, "Look, we want to. We've got five thousand registered investment advisors, and they come into our website. They try to get like documents to give. They they resell the SEI product, and they asked us." to build something so that they could easily customize a proposal based on the SEI product, but with the branding of each of these registered investing advisors. And we built the first proposal system. It was like the intranet, extranet, software, very technical. And we, that was, we were still doing web design, but that was the, the first real pivot because there is really nuts and bolts. It was software and, and it gave us that, that it was a good spot for us to enter because. We were young, so we didn't have kind of the branding chops that I think a lot of other companies were looking for. Just the web design stuff. So being younger and just technical, it still seemed appropriate in a similar way. Mm-hmm. And through that, though, we started meeting some of the agencies, like through some of the relationships to the banks that we were doing. So we also started doing larger banks that were similarly packaging their products with SEIs. We were introduced to them, and we started building similar things and. I think over that two or three-year period, we started doing work for the agencies where we became like a private label digital mm-hmm. arm for several agencies. So that was probably like the third, the second real pivot. Right. Got two down, and that was helpful because then that, that was how we really started to carve out a niche that allowed us to do the branding and the, the marketing aspect of it. And then we merged with one of those. So at some point, a few years later, and two. This is a 96 to 2001. At some point around 2000, I think we merged with an ad agency. It was our shop and theirs. And we, we started doing all of their client, all of their work. We did that for a while. And at the same time, we, were also at, we also had some products that were still specialized in those proposal systems. So we did that. We did that for a while. And... And then we probably think that we split off and we started private labeling for maybe another half dozen agencies. Okay.
0: Wow. So you did a lot of, you figured out what worked at the time. Yeah. A lot of pivoting. A lot of pivoting. A lot of, did somebody say that they didn't like the word pivot. They just said transform, I think was the way that they used it. But they do digital transformation. So I think that's why they said that. Where does that leave you guys today? Where do you, what do you focus on today for your clients? That that kind of last transition from
1: there, we did that work for those agents for a lot of agencies, and that was going really. We got every time we met with an agency, we, we really made a good relationship, and we would start to do the work. But um, at some point, we decided that we were better off serving our clients more direct, and that's really where we landed. You know, th- that's where everything that we had learned from being pretty a really technical shop. And doing it for larger corporations, financial services, and then we had a good period of time where we were now opening it up to a portfolio of clients that were like a lot of Fortune 500 businesses, where we were on the branding side. So coming out of kind of those several transformations, let's say, gave us an opportunity to really provide all of the above, but in a different—I would say—a a different kind of service model than like a typical ad agency. Mm-hmm. They were. A lot of agencies were trying to transform their business a little bit, but without having that direct expertise inside the technical stuff, whereas we came into it the reverse. Really technical with an understanding of the business aspects and marketing. And so now it's a pretty well-rounded offering. And our model is really based on creating websites, but really managing, becoming that digital arm for our it's like whether it's a small business or a large public trade business, we try to find a max that's going to really augment their internal resources so they can think of us as a natural extension of what they have internal. Kevin. Okay, and how big are you guys today? How I many employees? So if we're still, we're leaning mean. The, the pandemic really did a number on a lot of different parts of our business. So we've got a few full-time people and then we've had a... Let's say network of maybe a dozen contractors that we've really over ten, fifteen years, just from here back, we've worked with for a really long time, and mm-hmm. I think everybody started working remotely. It really made it difficult to bring people into an office in full time, but at the same time, I think people got more accustomed to like this video call. I think the was main thing is right has been really helpful because otherwise and we were with the different agencies we would have a lot of people in the office and I was really adamant about having everybody inside the same building because I think it's crucial for communication but today people are accustomed there's not a lot of choice in in that matter right The video calls it is easier I think that bridges some of the gaps in communication Be able to make eye contact and see people
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I started working fully remote, and I base everything off of my kids' ages. That's how I try to keep track of time. But my daughter was just born, and she just turned seven. So it was pre-all pre, pre all that stuff. So when everybody was freaking out about the big shift, I was like, this is where it's at, man. This, this I, That's how I built my business was being fully remote. So we didn't have that big transition. But I know being parts of other organizations that had to make that shift, it could be pretty challenging. Yeah. Yep. If if you could take everything that you've learned over your many pivots or transformations or whatever you want to call it, and you had to start your business over again tomorrow, what would be step one?
1: Step one would be to really assess the market. Though I had done a lot of pivots, I, I think the thing that has consistently worked is really taking a position of being extremely inquisitive and really understanding the people that I want to that that we that we do our work for and i think taking a step back combining it with obviously you have to love the way you do i think that's pretty integral to any success is if you really have a passion for it and then figuring out a way that matches where the demand is and then getting inquisitive, asking a lot of questions i
0: that's a great that's a great answer let's switch gears a bit you look like a very healthy guy. You look great for having run a company for 26 years. I can tell you I've seen people who've run companies for two years who look like they're 100 years older. So they must be doing something. What are your, what are three kind of things health-wise? Obviously, drinking water is one of them. But what are three, <laughs> stay hydrated. <laughs> what are three things you do to increase your health and longevity? I think high stress is always helpful. Yes, <laughs> big time. So I have five kids. I agree.
1: Yeah, true, you do. I'm only kidding. I think getting yourself accustomed to high stress and not feeling, I think, <laughs> is helpful. I appreciate you saying I I've, great tip. I feel like I've been, I'm in the worst shape in my mind. <laughs> oh, no, I think, to be fair, I feel as though I've said that every six months, and I meant it. I think last summer, I was in more possible work. But, but I think just staying active. I, I do stay hydrated, kidding aside. I do always have we have water everywhere. I, I wanna make sure that everybody's I I really think lots of water and just staying active. And staying you with know, a standing desk. I love my standing desk. I'm always yeah. adjusting that. I like to stay on my feet. And just putting yourself generally in positions that make you feel a little uncomfortable. I think is something that is helpful both Stay
0: in shape, and just for business, I think it's very important. And I like that. I always feel like if I'm too comfortable, I'm in the wrong place. Being generally comfortable with being uncomfortable is a great one. All right, so let's let's do the mystery question. And I know now that people are actually starting to listen to this a little bit. They're gonna they're tired of hearing the spiel, but eventually somebody will listen to the mystery question beforehand, and it won't be a mystery anymore. And I have to change it. But what would you do? Anything on Earth, physical, altruistic, whatever you want to do. What would you do? If you knew, you couldn't fail. Why well, couldn't fail?
1: I would. You know what? I would figure out how to usher in a really safe in- ecosystem for artificial intelligence right now. I, I love it. That is a, a real challenge we'll consider so I don't want to ring any alarms but I think the, what we're looking at now is a pretty significant shift not
0: just in like my industry your industry, but everywhere yeah. And I, yeah. do you mean that from the sense when I asked a guy who was almost I would call like a forefather to some of this MML and language of a couple of weeks ago do you mean that from a being in the wrong hands perspective or more of a sentience kind of perspective? What are you when you say, and what are what are, you, what are your, your thoughts behind that? Well, all of the
1: above, without getting too philosophical, I think in terms of safety and it getting in the wrong hands, for sure, I think that's more of an immediate, mm-hmm. in terms of Kind of a soft landing in the economy for the impact it's gonna have that we'll be looking at over the next three to five years and to, mm-hmm. to to the extent you want to debate sentience and consciousness yeah I think maybe having a, an approach that is fairly uniform and has some parameters for compassion and empathy whether it's us and the possibility of burgeoning intelligence or. The notion of imprinting a sense of compassion and empathy to our overlords.
0: <laughs> kidding. And I think education too, right? That's the only other one that I, yeah. I feel like if people can just AI their way through everything, there's got to be an impact down the line, right? Like all these the kids that are just going to use it to write all the papers and do all the homework. It's got to come out somewhere.
1: I hear you. It, I the the first time I used ChatGPT when well, it was given a release in November, I had a couple in laws that are like teachers. My boss. Well, like the same day I was looking at it, I had a couple nephews and nieces over at the house, and they came parents came over, to up, and I was explaining like I don't know if you've seen this, and I I don't know if it was right or wrong. I showed, I pulled out my phone, I was showing it to their her kids, and she's, man, this is. How do you stop? How do you? I don't know. It was, it, it, they were, it, the, my niece and, and nephew were, they were saying they were basically asking proms for papers they were looking at doing. And sure enough, and that was G, GPT 3.5 and 4.0 was even more fluid and fluent. And I'm so, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was senior in high school, and he was—he was already starting to experiment. I'll just leave it there. Uh, <laughs> was, it's was not I, as a dad who hopes he goes on to do great things. You can't rely on it's crutches in life. If you have too many crutches, like you, whatever it is, like you end up being a—I'll not say weaker person, but you definitely, define more character without those crutches. Sometimes.
1: How do? What do you? Th- so how do you? As somebody that's moved more hands-on in that kind of
0: realm. I don't know. I think just the detection mechanisms, I think there's always there's never going to be a universal, there's always going to be a, an, a branch of some open source something that is going to not be locked down like the mainstream version of GPT, right? Somebody's going to get it. They're going to spin it off. They're not going to follow the same protocols. They're not going to embed the things in it that let people know that it's generated with right. AI. There's always right. going to be that stuff. So I think... Detection mechanisms are probably gonna be they're all it's be a cat and mouse game forever. I don't know. It's I do see that as being a little bit of the Pandora's box because you're never really gonna be able to stay ahead of the next iteration of it. There's always gonna be something next that's gonna be out there. So I don't know, man. I've got a lot of younger kids that are coming up and um, it'd be very interesting to see how it plays out and with school and you know, how they handle it and the teachers and all that stuff. On um-
1: on the other end of it though, maybe it helps usher in some babe I don't know, we we, we use it every now and then, like once a week we'll ask TVTs, write a homepage. But then it's just shocking what it does do. Whether it really comes back as like a fluid, as something like really on point, it, it doesn't, but it's close. But generally it's helpful in the regard that if you understand the broader concepts, it's not gonna finish a thing for you. Sorry. So it helps get things going, and maybe I don't know. Maybe in some respect, even just from a writing, if, if, as you're, if you were in high school, well, if it would be helpful to assist and create better writing.
0: I think there's definitely the uh, upsides to it. It's just managing it with the downsides, but um, I think my dog is letting me know it's time to go. But this has been great, man. It was fantastic. How do people find you? How how do they find Kevin? How do they find Effective Solutions? So,
1: EISolutions.com is our website. I mean, if you just look Effective Internet Solutions on LinkedIn,
0: the World Wide Web, as they call it. I don't know. They still call that? I don't know who. I I don't think so. I think we're definitely dating ourselves if we call it the World Wide Web. But, yes, I remember the dial-up days very well that my kids have no idea about. I was trying to explain to my son the anti-shock. Protection for the disc mans they used to have. I'm like, so you had to have this button that you would push so, like, it wouldn't skip as much. He's like, how does that work? I'm like, I had no idea. It was like magic, dude. It just, you would hit it. And sometimes it would skip less. I don't know. But, all right, man, this was great. Thanks for hopping on. Enjoy your long weekend and we'll catch up soon. All right. We got it. See you, Thanks, Gabby. See you, man. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, If you enjoyed this week's episode of the First Customer Podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free and it really helps us out. See you next week.